Hey, hey, everyone, Independent Life Nation. We are back and we are at the speed of light, warp speed ahead. Welcome to season three of the Independent Life Podcast. And we have an awesome episode for you. We recorded a panel discussion about disability identity at our state's independent living conference, which was held in Jacksonville, Florida at the end of October. This was an awesome conference, by the way. So the, everyone in the Independent Living Network was invited to it throughout the state of Florida. We had over 150 people participate. It was a two days worth of workshops and panel discussions and networking with one another, learning from each other about what's the latest and greatest going on with our network. It was the first time we've done it in many years due to the pandemic. It was just a, so well attended, so well received. It was awesome. And among many of the different activities that were there, I had the opportunity to moderate a panel discussion based on the topic of disability identity. And this is a critical topic. For me, this is where everything comes out of. This is so foundational to who we are as people. Disability helps to really form our perspective of who we are, our place in the world, and that really drives our thoughts, our words, our actions. And it's just such an important aspect of having a disability is to really understand how that impacts our identity of who we are. And on the panel, I got to facilitate a conversation between rock stars. So first, our one, our only Drew Dees, who uh, is our high school high tech coordinator and definitely in his own right, a very well-known person and disability advocate. We also had on the panel Whitney Doyle. She's the executive director for the Florida Alliance for Assistive Services and Technologies, otherwise known as FAST. So she ensures that the state is providing assistive technologies for all people with disabilities. She's amazing. Then we had Sarah Goldman. So she works for the Florida Independent Living Council. She does many different things for FILC. And one of the things that she does is in youth development and coordination. She's been on the podcast a few times as well, spoken to the Florida's legislature, a real disability advocate, a joy to speak with. And then we had Chris Littlewood. We had him on the podcast when we talked about access and functional needs for people with disabilities. He is an expert in this area. He works at St. Petersburg College in the Center for Public Safety Institute. Uh, he's an instructional technologies coordinator. He's amazing. He is a force of nature in the area of emergency management and preparedness. He's really helped to, I think, save lives. I'm almost positive in terms of saving lives, but also in advocating for that, meeting the access and functional needs uh, for people before, during, and after disasters. This past fall, he's been very busy with the impacts of uh, Hurricane Ian and, and so much that has gone on in this area. So we have an insightful conversation with these four. They're amazing. I learned so much from them gained more insights about this very important question of who we are through the lens of disability. Enjoy the episode. How's everyone doing today? We doing all right? 
do. It's been, it been, what, four years since we've had a statewide independent living conference? It's about time, right? It's good to see everybody. So today, this session, we're ending, I think, on a very, very important note. Um, we're going to talk about disability identity. We have some wonderful speakers here to talk about this very important topic. We're going to learn so much from them. And for me, this topic about who we are, how we identify ourselves, drives everything. How we speak, what we believe, what our values are, where we work, how we work, how we see others, how we interact with others, how we see our place in the world, all comes from who we think we are. So instead of just having these four wonderful people go through and introduce themselves, I'm gonna ask them to introduce themselves through a very simple and profound question I like to ask myself at all times because the answer constantly evolves. And I invite you to think about your answers to these questions as well when we hear the responses from our excellent panelists up here. So I invite you to come into this conversation. So the first question I have, who are you? If you want to ask this question of yourself, ask yourself, who am I? Very important question. Drew, let's start with you. So I'm Drew Dees. I work at the Center for Independent Living on North Central Florida in Gainesville as a high school high tech program coordinator. So I help high school students uh, with that transition process. What does that look like? What is the next step for them? Does it look like going straight into the workforce and or going to post-secondary education? So I would describe myself as a fearless and tireless advocate. Um, I love content creation and just helping my community and serving others um, is at the heart of everything that I do. So that's a little bit about me. So you are fearless and service is how you identify yourself. Awesome. Sarah, what do you have to say? Who are you? Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Sarah Goldman. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am our director of youth initiatives and administration over at the Florida Independent Living Council up in Tallahassee. And I identify um, as a person with a physical disability, so I have cerebral palsy um, and use a power wheelchair, but that is only just a small part of who I am. Like Drew, um, my disability has sort of given me my life's purpose where I feel the call to be an advocate and to mentor younger people like myself um, and with disabilities, but aside from that, I am an avid college football fan, go Knowles. Um, I love just hanging out with friends, shopping, so many other parts of who I am than just um, a disability advocate and a person with a disability. Thank you, Sarah. Chris. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Chris Littlewood. As Beth mentioned me earlier this morning in the session, um, I do public safety inclusive emergency planning. Um, she said I'm a national expert. I more like to say I'm a guy that might know some information that I want to share. I'm always learning, too. So when talking about who I am or how I identify myself, I say I'm Chris. If somebody said Mr. Littlewood, I start looking around for my father. Um, as far as um, who I am for a disability, I think my cousin answered that best. Um, I have a hereditary hearing loss. I'm late deafened, uh, very hard of hearing on an audiogram. I am deaf. Uh, I have about um, somewhere between the 90 and 95 dB hearing loss. So you'll see me looking over at the caption quite a bit or looking over at the interpreter. I had uh, 
hearing in the normal range uh, until I was about uh, 20 or 21, and uh, then it progressed from there. Um, when I asked my cousin how he identified himself, he is also deaf, um, he says, well, it depends who's asking. Uh, sometimes in the deaf community, I say I'm hard of hearing. Sometimes when I'm out talking to a cashier or something at a store, I say I'm hard of hearing, or other situations, I'll say I'm deaf. Um, sometimes my voice, because people hear me talk, they think I can hear, and it becomes my own worst enemy. So, um, because if I start talking and I ask a question, and then the person says, well, you just want to and they turn around and they don't face me, I have no idea what they say. So, um, but how I identify myself, who I am, I, I love advocating for others, for myself, yes, but a lot of times I think it, it, it's about all, all of us. Um, and somebody else mentioned it already today, nothing for us without us. Um, and everything I do in inclusive emergency planning um, is about uh, inclusion, representation, and access. And it's just to make sure that people with disabilities and people with access and functional needs are included in the planning process. We just had a major, major hurricane go across our state and really mess things up. Fortunately, I'm a Blue Skies trainer, um, so that means that um, in the response and recovery, um, I I'm, get to worry more about my own family and, and things on home base um, and let the first responders take it. But I've ha got plenty of experience with that. Um, I worked in law enforcement for many years. Um, so uh, I work with uh, um, shelter management and uh, public safety, still do. So, um, but uh, like Sarah said, being a person with dis a disability is just a small part of who I am. Thank you, Chris. And Whitney, who are you? I am Whitney. I am a cisgender, white, disabled female who identifies with she, her pronouns. I am passionate, I'm an advocate, and I have strong opinions and enjoy being creative. I get paid to be the executive director for FAS, which is the Florida Alliance for Assistive Services and Technologies. I should say I have the privilege and the honor to be paid to be an executive director in the great state of Florida. And for things that I'm passionate about, my volunteer work, one is serving with Chris on the Florida Independent Living Council, as well as serving on the board of April, the Association of Programs for Rural Independent Living, as well as a few other um, boards and, and such. But within IL, I'm just so happy to be a part of this community from the AT realm and from the rural realm and all of the things. And yeah, I, th I think that's who I am, Tony. <laughs> so I, I, I'm struck by hearing many of the responses of who you, you are from our panelists as the roles that we do, the roles that we fill, the jobs that we have. And I imagine in getting to the positions that you all occupy and doing the work that you do, Identity has played a role in getting you to where you are. How has identity of disability shaped your attitudes and beliefs about yourself and life? Sarah, we'll go with you on this one. Yeah, I think that comes in many assets or aspects of transition for me. Um, you know, growing up, 
I essentially felt like I had to prove that I was more than a person in a wheelchair. People would immediately see me and see my wheelchair and they would talk to a friend that I was with or a caregiver and automatically assume that I couldn't speak. And so from a young age, I grew up believing that I had to work harder and be a perfectionist and do all of these things just so people would see my value and my worth when really it was society that had those beliefs and it wasn't myself that was the problem. And so it was a lot of educating people and it still happens to this day. But the same thing happened when I went into employment. Um, you know, graduating from college and entering into the workforce, you have to prove to employers that even though I'm in a wheelchair, I can still do the job and I am capable because I have a master's degree. Just because I need a simple accommodation at a workplace doesn't mean that I can't do the job. And a lot of employers couldn't look past that. Um, they couldn't make simple accommodations to even do a telephone interview or anything, just even to get to the interview process. Um, and so I've had to, I feel like I've had to work harder in terms of proving myself and that has contributed a lot to the identity that I view myself as, as a person with a disability. Drew, how has identifying as a person with a disability shaped your attitudes and beliefs about yourself and your role in life? So it's given me a lot of perseverance, a lot of grit, right? Um, we don't, my slogan is I don't stop at the first no. You're not gonna tell me no and that's, that's gonna be it, no. <laughs> I don't take no for an answer. Uh, we're gonna, where there's a will, there's a way. Um, and my background is communications. Um, my ultimate dream is to be on television one day. And how often do you see a person with a physical disability in a wheelchair on TV? Um, you don't, so that's just one of the rims. I think trying to change that perspective, and as Sarah said, they'll see the chair, um, and they won't see us, and that's only a small part of who we are, right? That's not us as a whole, they don't see our ambitions. And I like to capitalize on my disability, because um, I say, you know, there's one thing that people with disabilities have to do all the time. We have to adapt and overcome. Um, and many people in the workforce um, without a disability, it may be harder for them, but because we had to do it from day one, um, I see the disability as an asset rather than a setback. I love the word adapts. Very big, Drew. So Chris, how has identifying as a person with a disability helped to shape your attitudes and beliefs about who you are and your role in this world? Really makes uh, talking about something that I love easy because I do it, I walk the walk, talk the talk. Um, I am a person with a disability. My mother was late deaf and she also had another disability. My father now has two disabilities that are different. Um, one of the things that I found myself in uh, situations in the past is um, people will say to me, well, how come you're talking about somebody that uh, uses a wheelchair or somebody that's blind or has low vision, instead of talking about uh, people that are deaf or hard of hearing, you're our advocate. And I always say that, well, it's about all of us. It's not just about people that are deaf or hard of hearing. So it's just made it easy for me to uh, communicate with everybody when you're talking about that it's not one specific group. One thing that I've always carried with me, and um, I think I first heard it probably before I really had a, a disability myself, but it was the Oprah Winfrey show, and they were talking about uh, the movie Schindler's List, 
there were some African-American people on the Q&A panel, and they were asking them why were they so concerned about the Holocaust, because it was about people that were Jewish. It wasn't about people that were black or African-American. And the people that were black or African-American says, well, it, it's about discrimination. It's about pain. You know, it, every, it's everybody together. You know, so we, we all understand that. So it, it just, the attitude, it makes it easy for us to advocate for everybody and not just ourselves. So I'm not out there advocating as a person with a disability for Chris. I'm advocating for every person with a disability. A lot of times I see people with a disability that have less advantages than I've had. Um, sometimes because they don't know. Uh, in emergency management, we talk about we don't know what we don't know. That's what keeps us awake at night. We, the known unknowns. It's just a matter about passing on the information that you have. Again, when I get called the subject matter expert in inclusive emergency planning, I more say that I have something to share. That's it. Thank you, Chris. And Whitney, how has your identity, your values and your attitudes and the role that you occupy been shaped by having a disability? This is Whitney. So I don't have an arm and a leg. Uh, I was born this way. And I only give you that piece of my story to preface that I wasn't raised identifying as disabled. Um, no one in my family had a physical disability. No one really interacted with other people who had physical disabilities. I did go to Shriners Hospital in Tampa for my prosthetics care. So that was really the only time I was seeing other children with disabilities. It was kind of weird to me because I felt like I was just Whitney, but also having to overcome other people's expectations of me, whether that be that I could or couldn't do something, or that I should want to do something because we can find the workaround to make you be able to do it with your disability. So not knowing that I have a choice that I maybe don't want to do that activity, even if we can find the workaround to make it accessible for me. It wasn't until uh, towards the end of high school when I really started hanging out with other people with disabilities. It wasn't until college where I started hanging out with other people who don't have arms and legs, which was like a huge shock to my system. Um, it seems silly, but when you're not around your people, like when you're around them, it's just so overwhelming. Um, so it wasn't until college that I really started to identify as someone with a disability. And I kind of take the strides of feeling like I am normal in a society that doesn't necessarily want me to identify as normal um, and taking the empowerment of choosing to identify as disabled because in the limb loss and limb different community, they really don't identify as disabled. Um, and so kind of feeling out how all of these traits have uh, you know, made me a hard worker and made me adaptive, like Drew said, and making me learn how to approach situations in a way that I wouldn't have had I not had the experience of not identifying and then identifying. Thank you, Whitney. What, what really jumps out at me when, with your response there is um, how society sees people with disabilities, like you were talking about yourself, and the word ableism just jumps out, you know, the ableistic attitudes or beliefs about society that may have on people with disabilities. So my next question will be, how has society's view about disability impacted your identity 
And, and this could be, you know, maybe not in a good way, and, and maybe if you've ever struggled uh, with having a positive self-identity uh, in your life, I have, uh, certainly have, based on some of these social, cultural, normative attitudes about disability and, and some of the challenges that accompany that. I was wondering if you might be able to speak to that. And uh, I'll go with Chris to lead us off on that one. For so long on television, in movies, people with disabilities were seen as the people that, oh, poor, poor person with a disability. Uh, they were seen where they should be given the right to choose to end their own life. Come on. We all have something to offer. Uh, so many people with disabilities uh, are, in a lot of different ways are, are stronger in a lot of areas than other people with function that they don't have, that people with disabilities don't have. Uh, it's definitely uh, shaped um, who I am and what I talk about. Um, it, it's really neat experience for me, uh, especially after this past year, that I can say that a deaf person has received an Academy Award, uh, that a deaf actress has received an Academy Award uh, for Children of the Lesser God and for CODA. Um, that that's over the last 20 years, that's newer. Um, that's just people that are deaf or people that are hard of hearing. Um, but it's just uh, working with uh, different experiences and it, it's about the individual and not about um, the disability. Focus on the individual and their ability. Um, the last thing I want to say is beyond ableism, for people that are deaf or hard of hearing, there's a term called autism. And that's where anybody that can hear is a little bit better than uh, somebody that's deaf or hard of hearing. So that's something that we're always um, looking to change that experience. And I like what Whitney said before, not have such a happy experience. Instead of saying you had a miserable experience, I'm going to start saying not a happy experience. That sounds much better. So Power of the word. Power of the word. Um, but I think the view is starting to change with the world. Um, in some areas better than others, but um, it's definitely something that's on my mind and what I bring forward. Thank you, Chris. And Drew, where have you been challenged about your own identity from the social, cultural, normative attitude, stigma, or ableism that have impacted you in your life? It's just made me work harder, right? Like, I'll, I'll use these real world examples. Like, I go out and I work out at the gym and you'll have people staring at you um, and being like, man, you're my inspiration. But hold on, wait a minute. Am I your inspiration just because I'm a person in a chair doing, just living life like you all are? Or am I your inspiration because of the work that I do? I want to be known for the work that I do, not because, oh, he's um, an individual in a wheelchair and he's done X, Y, Z. No, I want to be known, we'll use journalism for an example. I want to be known as a good journalist because I'm a good journalist, not because of the wheelchair. So looking beyond that, um, and I think society is starting to turn that corner, but as always, there's plenty of work to be done. Um, the job is never over. Um, and I think that all four of us on this panel can attest that, you know, We've, we've come a long way, but we've still got a ways to go, and it's about 
education, right? I like to use every piece of my life as an education moment. If someone calls me an inspiration, I stop them in their tracks, and I'm like, is it because of the chair? Because I'm just living my life just as you are, so that's the way I look at it. Thank you, Drew. Sarah. Yeah, so for me, I think it's been a twofold. It almost started with low expectations. I mean, from the minute that I was diagnosed at two and a half with cerebral palsy, I mean, doctors gave out a long list of things to my parents. She'll never be mainstreamed in school. She's never going to write. And I learned to overcome all of those things and essentially, like Drew was talking about, prove people wrong. Um, but in the midst of that, I didn't have a community. I didn't have a group of people that looked like me. And so I felt so isolated. And as I transitioned, there was just barrier after barrier of transitioning into independence. And I just felt so angry. And I didn't know what to do with that anger. And I'll never forget that a mentor told me one time, she said, um, it's time for you to turn your anger into activism. Because that's where the power can happen. And that is when I felt like my purpose of becoming an advocate happened. And how I could use all of the experiences that I've had as a person with a disability and use it not only to impact myself, but also to give back and I always say to make sure that the person down the road that experiences life with a disability after me does not have to walk through some of the things that I've walked through because I've helped set that path. So without those low expectations that society has set for me with my disability identity, I don't think that I would be in the place where I am now where I can frame it as a positive thing of making an impact on the world. I love it. You're flipping something negative and making it a positive and, and using something that that low bar of expectations that society might have for us and flipping that to proving them wrong and making it positive. So, so Winnie, I might, I might evolve to the next question with you because I feel like you kind of answered this in, in the, the, the previous response you get and about how uh, society has views have impacted your identity. But so how, how have you um, gone about cultivating and empowering self-identity in your life? So I think a little bit of also growing up not necessarily identifying as disabled gave me a little bit of an ego <laughs> because I got to be the cute girl in the room that, um, you know, everybody would trip over themselves to entertain or to, <laughs> I'm saying this all with humor, so y'all aren't laughing. I, I'm not that full of myself, but... <laughs> But you grow up with a lot of confidence. Um, but I feel like I, I took that empowerment, or I took that kind of enjoy being the token, right? Like I would apply for, you know, um, stuff at my school and think they'll pick me because I'm the disabled person. And yeah, I'll get that because I'm going to be the only disabled person that applies. And it comes with a lot of entitlement. Um, and I think we all know those people, um, disabled and not, that it's hard to work around their entitlement. Well, I, I don't want to be one of those entitled people. I try to recognize my privilege as best that I can and try to flip it to that piece of empowerment. So, you know, using it to fuel me, using that if I am going to be the token disabled person in a room, then I'm going to have a voice and I'm going to do the best that I can where I'm, you know, going to be, like Sarah said, make it better for whoever is going to be in the room next or guarantee that there's always going to be a spot at the table for all of us to be there. So I, you know, it fuels me and I get really excited about it, but it's just trying to make sure that my disability can be the push to allow the door to be open for others. Drew, what have you done to be able to cultivate an empowering 
self-identity? I think just taking one day at a time. Um, I'm a big believer in faith, um, and I believe that, you know, I was given the platform to make a difference, like everyone else said, to make sure that that person that comes behind me um, doesn't have to encounter the same barriers that I have. Um, you know, and we, how can I phrase this? Um, so, everything that we go through, right? Everyone has a purpose on, on this earth, and I, I truly believe that my purpose was to serve and to, to make the world a better place. Um, everybody um, is given something that we were put on this earth to do, and I, I truly believe that I was given the platform that I have in order to, you know, use it as a teaching moment. Everything in my life, I use it as a teaching moment, you know, and I, I'm, I'm an open book. Um, a lot of people, they'll shy off from asking questions, but I'm like, nope, let your kids ask those questions. Because if they don't ask those questions, and if they don't have someone to go to, what, what are we doing? They're still going to be curious. Um, so just making the world a better place for the next person behind me and just giving people an open and safe space to ask questions um, about disability. Thank you, Drew. And Sarah, you've already given us taking anger and turning it to advocacy, but what else have you done to cultivate an empowering self-identity? Community has been huge for me. You know, like Whitney said earlier, I didn't grow up with other people with disabilities. Um, it wasn't until I moved to Florida when I was in middle school that I joined an adaptive sports league. And it was the first time that I found other people in wheelchairs just like myself. And my mind was blown. I mean, the friendships, the conversations that I got to have with people, going to the Youth Leadership Forum in high school, um, just getting to meet others that shared the same struggles that I had, that the deepest things that I thought about myself or viewed about myself were normalized. People agreed that they thought those same things, and it was just a way for me to sort of breathe and take a deep breath to say, wow, I'm not alone in this. And I think that that's really helped foster my identity to know that I am not alone. And to this day, those are my people that I can call when I am struggling or when I have a viewpoint of myself that I don't necessarily know how to deal with, they are the people that are the ones who get it. And all you have to do is just explain it and they, they automatically know what you mean. So that's also helped in a way create my positive identity as a person with a disability. Community is huge. We need each other. Unity through community and disability. I love it. Chris, what have you done to be able to cultivate an empowering self-identity? I would kind of agree with what Sarah said, and it's not necessarily me, it's the people that I'm surrounded by. Um, supportive family, whatever your family may be, is really important. Uh, some of the strongest advocates I know uh, come from family that um, didn't try to hide their disability, um, didn't try to put it forward, just walked with them. And when I say walk, I just mean that they advocated with them and helped them find a way. I do that too. Uh, I can remember one time, like uh, probably 20 years ago, I'd been in the workforce for many years and I was working with a lady and, and she was, I just kept having to ask her to make sure she looked at me when she spoke to me. That's all. At that time, I, hearing was much better than it is now. And uh, I said to her, you know, she wasn't 
an old woman, but she wasn't, uh, you know, a child either. I said, haven't you ever worked with somebody that was deaf or hard of hearing before? And she said, no, actually, I haven't. And I said, wow, I, it, that just struck me. But, and that comes from being born with a deaf mother. You know, my mother was late deafened also, so I've always had that experience, but it made me think that I have to be part of that community so that other people see me, not for me, but for everybody else, and part of that community and that family and everything. I, I consider all of you guys part of my second family. Um, in the Association for Late Deafened Adults, we always talk about that ALDA is our second family. Um, it it's, comes from like experiences and things like that. Uh, so it, it's the community, family, so much that we count on to, to teach us how we want to share our experiences. Okay. Um, and and uh, one, one last question and we're going to do an activity. But, uh, you know, you all are, are leaders. I mean, in my eyes, you all occupy positions of leadership. And one of the key elements of leadership is to empower other people. How do you go about empowering other people to cultivate a positive self-identity? Whitney. Well, I can speak for my people at FAST. Um, I believe in autonomy um, and responsibility, and I believe in choice. So nothing I ask someone to do, do they forfeit the ability to choose yes or no or to consent to that activity? And I think choice is really powerful in our communities as a whole. Um, and being able to have that choice, and even if it's um, just, just getting to have the choice. So for me, it's knowing that people can take up space and they can do the things that they want to do and we can all align that into our mission moving forward in life and, and community and, and the disability civil rights movement. So I, autonomy and choice is our big ones for me. Independence, right? Mm -hmm. Drew, what do you do to help empower people to have a self-identity that's healthy? I agree with Whitney. Um, I tell my students all the time, like, you know, you're gonna get out of it what you put into it, right? We can lead a horse to water, but we can't make it drink. Um, and so I think just letting them know that we are there for them, something that I do for my students is I, I let them know about the resources and I um, choose not to be a handholder per se. I'm here if you need me, but I want, you to use the tools that you've learned and put them into play because at some point we're not going to be around anymore and i i want to know that when when we're when we're gone that you're able to take care of yourself right and a lot of times a lot of my students like that's their first encounter with advocacy and standing up for themselves because it's great for mom and dad to be there we all need that support system but at some point we all got to learn how to fly um, so that's what I tell my students is, you know, I'm, I'm there for you if you need me, but um, yeah, let's, let's learn a little advocacy here and see what we can do. And by the end, they're like, oh boy, Drew, I did X, Y, and Z, or I was able to advocate for this, whether it be for themselves or others. Um, so that's what I choose, to make sure that I've laid that groundwork um, and the foundation so that they know how to be successful. Um, without any assistance. Thank you, Drew. I certainly do a lot of learning from you. 
to learning to fly. Sarah, how do you empower people? How do you lift them up? For me, I think it comes from finding other people's strengths. Um, the people that have made the biggest difference in my life have been those that have chosen to look past my disability and choose to see the things that I'm really good at. And so when I'm working with youth or mentoring youth, um, especially with disabilities, I really like to focus on what their strengths are and helping them find what their strengths are. Because the more that they can hear about what they're good at or the things they can do rather than what they can't do, the more they're going to start to believe in themselves and believe in their potential and their purpose. So calling out the good and the, the strengths that other people have really makes a difference in viewing them in a positive light and helping them view themselves in a positive light. And Chris. What do you do to lift up people in your community to cultivate a healthy, empowering self-identity? I think in, in small part, small part, I think lead by example. Um, and then um, I, I, what I talked about before in emergency planning, inclusion, representation, and access, make sure somebody else has those things. Not me, somebody else. And then when they see what I'm doing and they have those other things, you know, a long time ago, uh, the administrator of FEMA talked about people with special needs weren't special anymore. We didn't want to be special. We just wanted to do it just like everybody else. I don't want to be special. I just want inclusion, representation, and access for everything that I do. And so those are the things that I tried to do to empower other people. Thank you, Chris. And these panelists here have shared their heart and have opened the door for us to take the last remaining time that we have here to do some examination about who we are. And so I'm inviting everybody here in this room okay, to reflect. We're going to do two things. First thing is to take an honest inventory of the times in our lives that we may not have had empowering thoughts, beliefs, or identities about ourselves. Myself, particularly, I've been challenged in my life in terms of disempowering thoughts, beliefs, and how I identify myself. Most people that I've come across have had the same thing. I invite you in the next minute to reflect, take some time to take an honest inventory of any of the negative self-talk, <coughs> criticisms, labels that you've told yourself about yourself. What are those terms? What are those words? What are those identities and thoughts that you've told yourself about yourself? Examine that. Take the time. So for those of you that can, what I'm going to ask you to do is look at those words, look at those thoughts, take the next minute or two and write that down. Write those disempowering thoughts, words, labels, identities. And, and, and whether you have a disability or not, if you're a human being, I think nearly everyone has had negative, critical thoughts about themselves. Write that down, please. I invite you to at least. So I invite you to take a look at that, what you just wrote down or thought about or reflected on.
Look at it. Accept that that is what you have thought about yourself. And that's okay, you're human. But that does not mean that is who you are. You get to define who you are. You get to choose who you are. And it does not need to be what you just wrote down. You take ownership over it. And I invite you to take ownership over it by looking at that piece of paper, if you have it, taking it in your hand, if you can. And I want you to ball that up as hard as you can. Let this thing, where is a process of letting go. The process of looking inward, being honest. And we are going to let go of that which does not serve us. This is not who we are. I want you to take that as hard as you can and throw it at Drew. Just kidding. Just kidding. This does not serve you. You can go burn it. You can go flush it down a toilet. You can throw it in the garbage to recycle. Do they, do they have more paper? I think we can get more paper. All right. Now what I want you to do, I want you to reflect on all the empowering things that you want to either identify yourself as if you don't already have empowering thoughts about yourself or if you already do. What are those thoughts, those beliefs, those identities that you have about yourself that is empowering? What is it that you have about yourself that is positive? What is it about yourself that the attributes that you are, that you truly are, and if you don't believe that you are that yet, call it out into existence, what you want to be, what you want to manifest, even if you're not there yet. What it is that you want to be, who you want to be, who you want to choose to be, because that is up to you. That is your choice, your independence. So take the next couple minutes to reflect and to write down the empowering beliefs, thoughts, and identity that you want to cultivate in your life, that you want to have about who you are. Now, take a look at that list. Own it. Decide that is who you are. And I hope that you're choosing this to identify yourself to believe in who you are. No one but yourself has that power to define who you are. That question, who am I? You choose. No one else can choose that for you without your consent. We heard our panelists here talking about how Social cultural normative attitudes, ableism, stigma can be very powerful influencing factors on how we decide who we are. You decide, and I hope it's what's on that list. I invite you to keep that list. I invite you to refine that list and have it on hand anytime you would need a pick-me-up. 
David Goggins. I don't know if any of you don't know who this man is. Very, very powerful person. He has what he calls the cookie jar. Anytime he needs to pick me up or lift me up, he takes self-affirmation, positive attributes out of that cookie jar and owns it. I hope you own what you just wrote down or reflected on because we need you, the community of people with disabilities needs you to have the most positive, affirming, empowering identity possible. Because like these panelists showed us, that when we have a positive, empowering self-identity, it not only improves our lives, but it puts us in a position to serve, to empower other people, to be better than they could be on their own. We need each other. That means we need everybody to be the best versions of themselves possible so that we can do the highest good for one another as a community. This is the path. And the path starts with you, starts with me, starts with how we see ourselves in this world. Never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world because it truly ever has been the only thing that has. Let's thank our panelists for sharing their heart. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. It inspires me to be a better person. And thank you for everybody. I hope you enjoy the rest of your conference. Before you go, I just want to invite you. Is Jasmine here? Jasmine could stand up and wave her hand. She is a podcast producer for a podcast called The Independent Life. She's here with a microphone. She's here with a camera. She's here to get snippets of anyone who's willing to share a little bit of their thoughts, a little bit of their heart, and we're going to string together a segment of audio, a video together to share to the world. If you so feel, please go see her. You're welcome to come see me. We can make that happen. Let's make this world the place that it needs to be. Thank you so much. Also, everyone should have an evaluation. It might be at the end of your table or maybe in front of you. If not, raise your hand and we can get you one. Please fill it out on what you liked or did not like about this session, including my humor, which did not land today. So feel free <laughs> to include that. And then um, we'll just put them in a pile at the back of the room. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Independent Life Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Independent Living of North Central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. For questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352 352- 378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.